Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Thank you, Donnie. Um, turn in your Bibles if you're not already there to John 17. And we're going to jump right in here from the Word of the Lord. Let me begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Father, I feel, uh, I feel very uh, inadequate this morning to, to preach this text, to preach your scripture on any Sunday, Lord. Uh, I thank you for giving sinful men, forgiven men um, and women, the opportunity to, to speak your word and to, to teach your word. And Father, I pray that your grace would cover all of us here this morning. There's none of us in this room that deserve to hear the words that we're going to hear this morning, the words of your Bible. And I pray that the words that I speak along with them to explain come from you. So I pray that you would open my mind and heart and give my tongue clarity. And I pray that more than anything, your spirit will work in our hearts to reveal who you are and to change our lives for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So let's read together John 17, verses 1 through 5. As Adam said, this is going to be a three-part sermon series within the book of John because this prayer divides out into three sections. And you'll see that more and more over the next three weeks. And so I hope you can attend these next three sermons. Let's read this passage together. I think I've got it on the screen too. Jesus spoke these things, then raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you, just as you have given him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent Jesus Christ, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Amen. The high priestly prayer. It is a unique portion of Scripture. It is an amazing portion of Scripture. A couple of years ago, we, uh, we started our first youth fall Bible retreat. And one of the things that I wanted to do on this retreat is I didn't, I wanted to have fun, but I wanted to go and, and just for a weekend dive into the scriptures and let this be an intensive time where we could do more than what we can do on a normal Wednesday night here at the church. And so by the providence of God, this was the chapter that we studied and we spent five or six very focused hours over a day and a half, which is a lot of Bible study, um, for our day and age anyway. We spent five or six hours in this text, in John 17, with our youth and our adults, and it was just glorious. And it was such a great place for us to start. It was such a great foundation for us to begin that little tradition of our fall Bible retreat. 
And so this is called the high priestly prayer. A priest, I think I've mentioned this before, a priest is a bridge. That's what it means. And the Bible tells us that we don't need any priests anymore. We have one priest, and his name is Jesus. So it is our practice to not go to a priest in a booth to confess or pray or whatever. We go to the priest, Jesus. He is our bridge. He is once and for all put an end to priests. And instead, we are, or, or he is our priest. So, this portion of Scripture is very unique. It's like walking into the, the Holy of Holies. Now, in the Old Testament, and even in the New, we see this thing called the Temple. Before that, the Tabernacle. And so the Holy of Holies was that most intimate place in the Tabernacle and later the Temple where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. And once a year, a high priest at that time who was selected, he would enter into that sacred place one day a year on the Day of Atonement to make an offering, a sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel that was ruled directly by God at that time. And in the time of Jesus, there was a, a thick curtain in that temple in Jerusalem some have said that it was four inches thick. So you just think about a four inch thick piece of fabric. Okay. All right. Four inches thick. Impossible to tear. And it separated the holy place from the most holy place where the, the high priest would go and, and, and have the most intimate access to God. It was this curtain that was torn miraculously by God upon Jesus' death. It was torn in two, ripped. And that symbolized our new access to God through Christ. And it's here in this prayer that we have, in a similar sense, we have the curtain torn away. And we're going into the Holy of Holies and we're seeing some of the most intimate communion between the Son and the Father. We are seeing this long prayer of the Son to the Father. We're eavesdropping and seeing what happens when God speaks to God. Now there's countless instances in Scripture where Jesus prays. We see that over and over again, Jesus prays, but none where we get this much information, none where we see His heart so clearly. You, you could spend a lifetime in this chapter. If you had only one portion of Scripture, this would be the chapter that you wanted. Because here you can learn so much of Christianity from this prayer. This is the gist. This is the summary. This is the point. And this is the Lord's Prayer. Now, in our day and age, we call, people will call the Lord's Prayer the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. Jesus never prayed that prayer. Why? Because in that prayer, there is mention of asking for forgiveness. Jesus never sinned. He never prayed that prayer. This is how He was teaching His disciples to pray. This was the model. There are some elements of that, like praying to your Father, that He no doubt did. But that's not the Lord's Prayer. This high priestly prayer, this is our Lord's definitive prayer that we have written down for us. On top of that being a unique portion of Scripture, this is also the, also the finale of His teachings to His apostles over the last four chapters. 
13, 14, 15, and 16. We teach these things as uh, individual stories. We, we, we see Jesus in the upper room with His disciples and He makes promises to, dis- to the disciples. He serves His disciples and washes their feet. He institutes the Lord's Supper with them as a continual reminder of His death and second coming. He reveals Judas will uh, in the future betray Him. He's warned them about the coming dangers. He's taught them and encouraged them about His departure and how we will, He will send the Holy Spirit. And He does a lot of this in this upper room where they meet and they worship together and then also as they're walking through Jerusalem. And a lot of times we teach these as separate stories, but they're really one big grouping of things that happened at the same time. This is the final week of Jesus' life before the cross. And this is the final night before He is handed over to His enemies. And He has some anxious disciples. He has some anxious disciples. They're understanding now that He's going to leave them. And He is trying to calm them. And He is trying to reassure them. And He's he's not holding anything back. He's telling them that there's going to be difficulty. Great hardship. In John 16, at the end of that chapter, we see a sense of this. Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Look, an hour is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may be, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have suffering. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And so previously he has said the hour has not yet come. He said that all through the book. My hour is not yet upon me. The hour has not yet come. Now he's saying the hour is here. He is close to His cross. And so He prays this prayer, this three-part prayer, where at first He prays for Himself, then He prays for His apostles that are with Him, and then He prays for all believers to come in the future. Now first, a word about glory. He mentions glorifying. He mentions glory in this section. What is glory? What is it to glorify? And a lot of times the context has to do a lot with with this word, but this is a word that we just throw around in Christianity, and we maybe it would help to give us a little bit more distinction here this morning. Glory is typically the display of greatness. It's the showing of greatness. It's the display of greatness. In the Old Testament, the word had to, to do with weightiness or gravity. Something serious. In the New Testament, the word has to do with shining light, revealing Something that lights up, showing who God is, showing His holiness, showing His goodness, showing His victory, showing His power. That's His glory. Notice that Jesus does not ask the Father to make Him holy or great. There's never a request for that because He is. God is holy. What is prayed for and what Jesus asks is that this glory, this holiness will be manifested to the world, to all creation. So what is Jesus asking here when He asks to be glorified? He's asking for the Father to fulfill all the promises and the plans that He has spoken about to His disciples. And so after He promises these things to the the disciples and He mentions these things that are going to happen, He then turns and He prays to God and He asks God, asks the Father to bring to pass what has been planned and promised for God's ultimate glory. And this morning, in this prayer that Jesus makes for Himself, I want us to see three revelations about Jesus 
three revelations about Jesus. The first, the deity of Jesus and His Father. We see the deity of Jesus and His Father. Both the Father and the Son. Now, deity is another word we need to define. Deity means you've got God nature. When we say, when we talk about the deity of Christ, we're talking about how Jesus is fully of the God essence. He is God. There's nothing lacking there. So deity means of God nature. Two things I want to mention here that we see. We see both of these in verse 5. One, the Father and the Son share glory. They share this glory. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you. Not merely from you, but with you, he says. John's been trying to get this point across to us in this book. This is so important when we're reading the Gospel of John. John wants you to know that Jesus is God the Son. That He is divine. That He is deity. He mentions it in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He mentions it in John 10 when he says, I and the Father are one. The rest of the New Testament mentions it in numerous places. Colossians 1, as Adam read, Hebrews 1, Philippians 2, just to name a few, that Jesus is the exact image and substance of God the Father. All of the fullness of God dwells in Him bodily. Jesus was not a mere man. He was truly and fully man, but He is also truly and fully God. And so they share glory. Secondly, they're both eternal. Jesus closes out this part and He says, Glorify Me in Your presence with the glory I had with You before the world existed. Now when people claim, and I've had many people say this to me over the years, that Jesus never claimed that He was God, I don't know what else they're looking for. Jesus has all but said here that He eternally existed before the creation. Before the world existed. And this is the application I want to give to us this morning. And this is becoming more and more important every single day. And I want to tell you, especially for a younger generation that doesn't just assume things, it's very necessary for us, whether you're young or older in this congregation, to clearly fight for and communicate these truths of the faith. Knowing the Trinitarian nature of the Scriptures, Father, Son, and Spirit, and the Trinitarian nature of reality is so important. It is important. It is necessary to Christianity. It is necessary to be on guard against deceitful and deadly ideas such as the idea that Muslims and Christians worship the same God. This is a deadly idea. This is anti-Christian. Jews that reject Jesus Christ are not worshiping the same God. It is because Christianity is not strictly monotheistic, meaning worship of one God. It's tri-monotheistic. It's unique. It is Trinitarian. You could sum up the teachings of the Trinity in this way. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. I'll say it a couple more times. God is three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. Each person is fully God. Fully divine. There is one God. God is three persons. 
Each person is fully God. There is one God. Let me read you some other words of John in his first letter. 1 John chapter 2, verse 21 and 23. John says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? He is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Jesus is not one of many ways to God. Jesus is not the preferred way to God, as some Catholics are teaching today. Jesus is the only way to the Father. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And it's not only important for us to affirm that here this morning, but for us to teach that in a winsome and loving and yet not holding back way to the rest of the world. They need to know this. There are some things in life, there's only one way that you can do it. And this is one of those. There's only one way to the Father. And so, in understanding the deity of our Savior, and equipping ourselves to explain Him to others, we do well to study this portion of Scripture. We can dive in here and soak in these words, these few verses, and learn so, so much about the nature of our Savior. Secondly, not only the deity of the Son and the Father, but the intimacy of Jesus with His Father. Look at the setting of this prayer. This is so interesting to me, and this is something you can really miss. Jesus spoke these things and raised His eyes to heaven and said... Now, first thing we notice, of course, is that Jesus raises His eyes to heaven. Now, we don't typically do that. We don't typically open our eyes unless we're driving and praying. We don't need to close our eyes and pray. I'm giving you command right here. Do not close your eyes and pray while you're driving. Nobody does that. And so kids will ask you sometimes, well, why do we close our eyes when we pray? We don't have to. Sometimes we do that because we're trying to get, you know, little Billy from eating food during the blessing. We're trying to to help people have a, a sense of reverence. And all of that is fine. But Jesus frequently lived, looked up to heaven. Looked up to heaven. Opened His eyes to heaven. And I think it's perfectly fine for us to do that at times. The setting is important. And we see some of Jesus' intimacy here. Notice how He's walking in Jerusalem. He's walking through the city at this point with His disciples. He's just finished a lot of teaching and a lot of different events. And they're standing right there with Him. And what does He do? He lifts his eyes to heaven and he starts praying. <laughs> this is not he didn't he didn't go to go off and pray. He would do that at times. But it was a seamless action. I love this. Sometimes it just weirds people out if you'll just stop and just start praying with. Let's pray right now. Here's why I say this. I think this is really important for us to battle against in our Americanized version of Christianity. We're extremely good with compartmentalizing our Christianity. And we need to be very careful about this. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time that we should be silent, a time that we should speak. There's a time that we should go into our closet and pray as we were commanded to by Christ. But that doesn't mean we need to leave our Christianity in there locked up and never bring it out. We ought to be wearing our Christianity on our sleeve 
It ought to be coming out of our mouths. It ought to be, we ought to be thinking about it all the time. And yet, we can get in a rut. We can get in a rut where we go to work and we shut it down. And we don't open up that compartment again. Especially us men, we're very, we're very prone to that. We shut that compartment down until Sunday or until Bible study time or Wednesday. And I love how Jesus' intimacy with the Father and how seamless it is is evident here. What those disciples, whatever awkward or weird thoughts they might be having about Him, He didn't care. The number one priority in His life was intimacy with His Father. And I think this is very important for us. This challenges us in our embarrassment conscious, image conscious, fear-soaked world to wear our relationship with our Father for all to see. Amen? We should not be ashamed of this. We should not be worried. We should not wonder what people might think of us. When it is time to pray and God leads it, leads us to pray, we should pray no matter where it is. When it's time to speak, we should speak. When it's time to offer encouragement, we should offer encouragement. When it's time to share the Gospel, we should share the Gospel. There's not going to be a comfortable time to share Christ. I have looked for it. It doesn't even exist at church. You will still at times feel awkward sharing Christ with people at church. A lot of that has to do with the pressures you put on yourself. So just be ready for it. And make your intimacy with the Father the number one thing and don't care about these other things. Have a seamless, integrated intimacy with the Father for all to see. Secondly, Jesus calls Him Father. This is also a claim to deity. Jesus is the unique co-eternal Son of the Father. This is a claim that they have the same stuff in them. But it also gives us insight into the fact that the one true God is a God that's in relationship. And that relationship is not formal. It's not like your, your CEO boss that's up in another office. We see that sometimes. We feel that sometimes about God, that He's distant or remote. But this is the intimate relationship of an eternal Son with an eternal Father. This is one, Jesus, one reason Jesus prays for the Father to restore to Him the glory He has in the Father's presence. Notice that part. In His presence before the world existed. Jesus longed for that return and that restoration to His Father's side. You know, many of the greatest joys um, in my life are being a parent, being a father. I'm sure many of you fathers feel the same way. And you mothers feel the same way about being a mother. Some of the greatest moments in life are wrestling with your kids, hugging your kids, laughing with them, having those moments, dancing with your children. Sometimes we see in God, wrongly so, such a formal, distant, almost harmful reverence. And reverence may not be the word that I'm looking for. But we don't, we don't see the emotions. We, don't, we, don't, we see God as impersonal and overly formal. And we don't see Him as having the, the same human emotions and deep relational feelings. God is holy. 
But that does not mean he is an emotionless robot lacking intimacy. Rather, when we feel these good things with our children, this should be a reminder to us of the perfection of that intimacy. The perfection of that character. When we feel the love of a father and our own children, it should instantly remind us, oh man, this is so great. What I can't imagine the greater love that the Father has for me or has for someone else. When we, when we feel joy, we should think, man, what is, jo- what is God's joy like? We have to start bringing the Scriptures to bear on our preconceived notions about God and let them inform us of who He is. That's the only way it works. We've got to start letting the Scriptures more and more Show us the character of God. He is the the fullness and the perfection of personality, of emotions, of intimacy. Also, we see, going off of this, we see Jesus' love for His Father. He has a desire to glorify His Father and complete His Father's work. Verse 4, He says He has glorified His Father by completing the work He was sent here to do. And now as He turns toward the finale of the cross, and His future work and ministry, He prays for the Father to glorify Him some more. His personal desire for the glory of God is ultimately not self, or for His own glory is not self-seeking, but is to bring many sons to glory and to be a son bringing glory back to His Father that your Son may glorify you. Jesus is explicit, as John records earlier, about his relationship with the Father. One of my favorite verses, a verse that just really changed my view of Christianity in a lot of ways at the time, is John fourteen thirty one. Jesus said, But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Jesus went to the cross, yes, to save us to save countless others. But He went to the cross and He obeyed His Father fully and perfectly because He wants the world to know how much He loves His Father. What an amazing thing. This is the payment for our salvation. A perfect, obedient love from a son to His Father. So obedient that it would go to a murderous Roman cross. Aren't you thankful this morning? Aren't you thankful for that kind of love? And third, we see the the deity of the Son and the Father. We see the intimacy of the Son uh, with the Father. And finally, we see the dependency of Jesus on His Father. We see this in that Jesus references over and over again that this is the Father's plan. The Father gave Jesus authority, Jesus says. Every miracle or sign that Jesus performed was done by the Father's direction, the Father's authority, the Father's power through the Spirit in Christ Jesus. Jesus, in other words, was not an independent superman. He was a divine man living by total and continual dependence upon His Father. And to be clear, our world thinks that when you have to depend on something, that's a sign of weakness. And so when they look at Jesus and they see Jesus praying and they see, they see His need, the world's thinking is that, well, this must not be God. And I would flip that for you this morning and say, 
It is precisely the fact that he can fully depend on God, fully trust his Father, that it proves that he is God the Son. It proves that there is divinity in him. It proves that he is deity. He is God the Son because he can fully and truly and perfectly depend. And that's a great lesson for us. Jesus didn't come here to show us how to be Superman. He came to show us how to depend on the Father. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you sent me here to do. This is not independence, but submission to the perfect will of the Father. Jesus doesn't even know, as it tells us in verse 2, He doesn't even uh, determine, rather, who is going to be saved. He tells us that the Father has determined that. In verse 2, he said, You have given him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to all you have given him. Friends, every age and hour and moment in this history of redemption is planned by God. And we should take heart in this. God is in full control. And that means our victory is sure as well. But the planning of God does not negate our need for prayer to God. The plan of God and its surety does not negate our responsibility and joy and privilege to pray to God. Matthew tells us that the Father knows that we are going to, what we are going to pray even before we pray it. And by the way, that's not because God gets in a time machine and goes to the future and figures out what we're going to pray in some place called the future. God knows what we are going to pray because He controls every single atomic particle throughout all human history. He knows what we're going to pray because He's the architect. He's the designer. His, his plans do not fail. He knew what He was doing when He designed this earth. There are no surprises. And so He knows what we're going to pray on Tuesday, on Thursday, on Saturday. He is in ultimate control. So someone says, well, why should I pray if He knows? And the typical response is what? Because God has commanded it. But that's, that's not the only response we can give. We miss an obvious rebuke of prayerlessness in the second proof I want to give you of Jesus' dependency on the Father. And it's obvious. He prayed. He prayed. That shows that He's dependent upon His Father. You and I pray for many reasons. Intimacy is one of those. Intimate, praying is how we can be Closer to God. But one reason that you and I should pray is because we are dependent upon the help of God. We need God to help us. And what we are seeing here is even Jesus, no, not even, especially Jesus, prays. And if Jesus prays, why aren't we praying more? Why do we feel so independent? Why are we so lacking in daily prayer? Why, are we, why do we think we're so strong? Why do we think it doesn't matter? Do we not need freedom from sin? Do we not need more wisdom? Do we not desire to see God glorified more and more? Do we not need more of this attitude of dependency on God and intimacy with Him? Do we not know that since God is in control, He can change people's hearts and He can save them? And Perhaps He wants to use our prayers to answer that. And so we see the, the deity of Jesus and the Father. We see the intimacy of the Son with the Father. We see the dependency 
of Jesus on His Father. All great lessons for us. Things that we can mimic. Things that that should lead us to dependency on Jesus and His Father. But I want to close with with verse 3. As our musicians come up, I want to close with verse 3. Here's the question. What is eternal life? What is eternal life? Verse 3 is the greatest definition of eternal life that, that you can find. Eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son. It's to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. What an amazing definition of what it means to be saved and to have life. And what a wonderful gift that God gives to sinful men. That we can know Him and the Son He sent. I think we need to be telling people this. I think we need to, we need to say, not did you pray a prayer, but do you know? Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with Him? Intimacy with Him. Depending upon Him. Have you been forgiven of your sins and have you been brought into His family? Do you know Him today if you're sitting here this morning? Salvation is free for you. It's not free to Jesus. He bled and died so that you and I could go free. But if you will turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus to save you, He will. He went to a cross and suffered and died and that work can take away your sin if you'll humble yourself and have faith in Him. So here's our, here's our invitation this morning. One, if you don't know Christ, call on Him today. Come and talk to me during this time of prayer. I'd love to be able to help you. Adam would love to be able to help you. There's others in this congregation. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. But here's how I want to Here's how I want to close out. Jesus depended on the Father. And so I'm not going to close this sermon with a prayer. Because if I pray this morning, maybe you'll feel like you don't need to. I don't know. Here's what I want. As as Donnie comes and plays, and as we stand, do you have something you need to pray about? Something you need to just practically hear today. You've been neglecting. You need to call out to God. Maybe you want to do that publicly and just acknowledge that, that you're praying, not, to, not because you want to be seen, but because you are publicly saying, I need God. I need to depend on Him. And that's why I'm praying, because I don't have what it takes. Maybe you want to come forward. Maybe you want to stand in your chair. But everybody in this room needs to pray for something. Everybody. Take a moment to think about how you want to close this message out and what you want to pray about and how you want to depend on your Heavenly Father this morning. I'll be down front if you need me. Let's stand together and let's all pray. You are